The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You Americans never lost no war. We're losing one right now. Huh? The war against poverty, injustice, ignorance. That's the war Claire Packer's fighting. Who were you? Claire Packer. Oh, geez, the queen of the liberals just blew away. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bunker. It's nice to meet you. Yeah? Well, it's nice to meet you, too, there, Miss Claire Packer, so as I can give you a piece of my mind. You know something? If you liberals go on getting your way, we're all gonna hear one big loud flush. <laughs> That's the sound of the USA going down a toilet. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 14th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. I'm Mary Lou Ambrosio. And I'm Danielle Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be well, it's been one week now since the election of Doug Ford as the leader of Ontario's government under the new PC majority government. And Ontarians believe they've elected a change in government, but have they really only just elected a change in politicians, or are we going to get the same government? I guess that's the theme that we'll be looking at over the course of the show today. And we'll be getting underway as soon as we remind everyone that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links and, of course, all of our archived broadcasts. So anybody still in shock, or is it pretty well the calm after the storm, or was there even a storm? I had to be reminded that there was an election on election day. I was lucky the poll for my riding was right around the corner from my kid's school, so it was very convenient for me to go vote. Well, what is, uh, what is everyone's first impression? Uh, is Doug Ford going to be the premier that we expected him to be, or is he going to be the premier that a lot of voters who voted for him will expect him to be? I think that's an open question, because based on some of the, the feedback I've been hearing about the people who voted for Doug, it, it's quite obvious numerically that it looks like a lot of people who were liberals but couldn't stomach voting for Wynn voted for Ford. And others voted NDP. So, but we're talking essentially the same policy. So what is the mandate that Doug was elected with? I'm not 100% sure. That's why I can't get too well, excited about it. I can tell you what his mandate was. His mandate to be elected was to get rid of Win. That was it. So he's been much. a great success. Yes. <laughs> well, in Done. that sense, this, this here, here's an attitude I think is very common. And this is written by Harvey E. At Port, in Port Stanley who said, in the London Free Press on May 10, having lived through all three parties in government, I would say none of the three is perfect. However, the Progressive Conservative Party has a better record of doing the least damage. Mm. <laughs> you should there's look into history. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, he's, yeah, he's not right. And there's a lot of people who believe that and who believe that the, the PCs are moving in some form of rightward direction, something they see on the right. Of course, we've demonstrated over and over again that that's not the case and that left and right matter. I think what's the big surprise too is here that instead of clutching uh, defeat from the jaws of victory that we, that we so often hear about the PCs, they actually cl- clutched victory from the jaws of victory. Did it really take any effort on their part to have to win this election or was that already in the cards? 
I think it was in the cards. It was sort of in the cards, and I think that you brought up the fact that on an earlier show when Doug Ford was elected as the leader of the PCs, I told you that he's going to be the next premier, and he is, so... Yeah, despite the media's efforts to, to demonize him. All he had to do was shut up. Or do as he was told. Or do as he was told. Yes. Yeah, because that's how the conservatives, or the progressives, as I'll now call them, have always failed, is that in, during an election, they pander to their base, which you never have to pander to, by the way. That's why they are called the base. <laughs> yeah. They do not need to be pandered to. But what do we see every time with conservative parties in the country is that they will open up their mouth pandering to the base and then all of a sudden they lose the election because they're saying things like we're going to cut a hundred thousand civil service jobs okay thanks you just lost the election well do you suppose they pander to the base because every time they're in power they don't perform as the base wants them to so they have to keep reselling themselves over and over again that's Mm. a a fair question yeah because when have the conservative ever behaved conservatively Never. Mike Harris. <laughs> Mike Harris, I would. Um, yeah, Mike, there were some in a good few things. Cases, yes. yes. There were some good things. The pri- for example, the, as I mentioned before, the private sector was the one that grew under Harris. To me, that was a big plus. You know, it's funny because I'm looking here, uh, some of the reasons that I know that people voted for Ford. My mom's neighbors, for example, were really in favor of the PCs and Ford because he promised to. Uh, quote, not to fund BRT. And yet here mm. I'm looking at the headline in the free press, Ford promises to fund London, London's it's BRT. crazy. You know, and the things that people believe about Ford having said, now he might have said that, but is that still his, his case? I haven't it's heard crazy. about that. Here's another one. Ford vows to end political welfare subsidies to parties. I hope he follows through on that. But he never mentioned it beyond April 20th, which was the first and last time he mentioned it. And then, of course, there's a whole issue of of mass transit where Ford is spending a fortune on mass transit for Toronto at our expense. And I found this headline interesting too, considering it came out, you know, Paul McKeever was out there saying, no new spending. Right. Look at that headline. Ford platform omits vow of less spending. <laughs> so, well, he's, yeah. he's, having, he's even come out and said that his first budget will be a deficit budget. So, well, yeah. well, he's also come out and said he's going to cut taxes, increase spending, and balance the budget. Now, mm-hmm. does anybody here know what formula I, creates that result? And I, I, another very notable, notable one. Now, most of the people who are saying what they think Rob Ford or Doug Ford stands mm-hmm. for can be forgiven because they don't do politics every day. But I, what I found really interesting was a comment by David Menzies, who you all know with Rebel Media, when he was discussing Ford's win. Apparently, the one Green MP that was ele- MPP that was elected has said, now that G- Doug Ford has confirmed that man-made global warming is an issue, he's going to hold him accountable. And Menzies mentioned, well, I never heard him say that when he was campaigning. Yes, he did. He said it on the CBC, and he said it very clearly. He said, man-made global warming. Yes, I believe man-made global warming is an issue. So let's see what happens when they do try to hold him accountable to that. There's a a willful blindness on the part of most real conservatives in this province, if not the country. When their leader comes and says something that they disagree with, they will dismiss it, they will forget it, they will not even acknowledge it that it happens. For example, there's a, a commenter on our Facebook blog when we dealt with the PCs saying, 
I have yet to see where the Progressive Conservative Party is progressive. Please, please explain. And I, I didn't respond because I'm thinking it's in the title of their party. Maybe he was being sarcastic. Like there's nothing really... No, in this no. particular case, he wasn't being sarcastic because I'm just paraphrasing the mm-hmm. quote, but, and I can understand where he's coming from. But there is a true willful blindness to realize that what Ontario just elected was a progressive left-wing party to, rep- to replace the progressive left-wing party of the Liberals and not get the progressive left-wing party of the NDP. So like you said at the opening of the show, Bob, there's been no fundamental yeah. philosophic change in the direction of politics in Ontario, what there has been a change of are people sitting in the seats in the legislature, and that's all. And I'm so happy to see Kathleen win. Absolutely. There's no question about that. And the issue there, of course, is that really Ford became the protest vote in this election. Mm -hmm. And it shows with all the smaller parties. You can look at all the other small registered parties who even fielded full candidates. They they got, you know, less than one half of one percent. And that was right across the board. And there was an increase in the number of people voting. I think we were up from 52% to 58%. So really? The extra so good voter turnout. Out, yes. Actually came out to quote, quote, unquote, vote against the Kathleen Wynne government. So that's where they would be casting their vote. Who's, who's, who's most likely to win? It was the old hammerhead vote thing. But, you know, that is a response to the fact that we have the first past the post system that Doug Ford got elected. And that is the only reason he got elected, because if it was by popular vote you would have uh, a Liberal or NDP coalition because more people voted Liberal NDP than did Progressive Conservative. Correct. So this province, matter of fact, the majority of people voted either for the Liberal Party or the New Democratic Party. Together, more people voted for the Liberal and the New Democratic Mm -hmm. Party, over 51%, I think. Right. Meaning, of course, unfortunately, this province is an extreme philosophic danger. People still want something for nothing, and they're going to get it with, with the Progressive Party. They're going to get something for nothing, at least for a while. I was going to say, eventually it's going to be nothing for nothing. Yes. No, eventually. No, or nothing, nothing for something. something. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Right. So where were you going with that argument? Are you saying that we should, therefore, have some sort of proportional representation? Because oh, God, no. <laughs> so, so why make that argument? Like, like, well, you know, I'm talking I, about I, I, change. I I'm talking about yeah, change. Yeah, he's talking about how the province, the mindset of the province mm-hmm. just shows that the majority of them are still socialists, even the ones that are voting for Ford are socialists as Extreme well. Extreme socialists. The NDP called their campaign bus the proletariat yeah. bus. Yeah, that's... And there they go, bringing class into it again. They are overtly communist now. Mm-hmm. Not even covertly. They're mm-hmm. overtly communist, calling... Uh, their their supporters, the proletariat. And people are still voting for them. And mm-hmm. they and they get, you know, the huge percent, 40 seats in the parliament. Yeah. 40 seats in the provincial it's parliament. Terrifying. It's communists. The only so way there's I, no change. The only thing that I kind of console myself with when I think about those numbers is the possibility that because the voter turnout is not as not that high, really, when you think about it, what about all those people who aren't voting, all those eligible voters who just give it a pass of that number, how many of them might be people who are looking for principled government and the kind of government we think moral government, making the right choices because it's the right choice, not because of a special interest group that has lobbied them? Well, it's pure speculation, of course, as to yeah. why people don't show up at the, at the polls. I would imagine that there is a degree or yeah. a percentage yeah. of them who 
would want and wait for a proper political party that 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 represents them and they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. But I I suspect that the the majority of the reason or the majority of the people who do not vote their reason is they are sick and tired of politics In or general. they don't care about politics or they think that politics doesn't influence them enough for them to go out and vote or they think that their vote is not is is, is just one among millions that it's like buying a lottery ticket. A lot of people don't play the lottery because the odds are just too high. Why vote when the odds against you are just too high? Well, that comes down to the previous issue you, you discussed, this idea that you know we should make every vote count. I can't believe how many people call in on talk shows wanting to change the electoral system. And they don't understand that what they're really saying is they want every vote to be a winning vote rather than really wanting to have a vote that counts. Because if you, if you cast a vote that lost... Well, that counted. Yeah. Counted as, as a vote for the person who you cast your vote for. It still counts. It just it wasn't a winning vote. And I think there's a big distinction to be made there, this idea that your vote doesn't count just because you've, ca- you've cast it for a loser. Isn't that kind of a, a sort of a mindset that shouldn't be in play? That just doesn't, I've never known a game that's played that way. Do you know any games that are played that way? <laughs> well, the game of politics is played that way. Yeah, that's right. It's funny that if you're ever going to vote for a winner, uh, and if that's your reason for voting, is that I don't want to vote for the party that wins because I want to feel like I'm backing a winner, then you really shouldn't be voting at all. You just, just step aside. Stay home, please. You don't know how this game works. Yeah, and then other than uh, me and Danielle, I don't think women should vote either. <laughs> Just say I can explain why. There are days that I think that perhaps that they made a mistake when they gave <laughs> women the right to vote. But no, no, frankly, no. Let's keep the women voting. Boy, I never thought I'd be so miserable surrounded by beautiful dames. Got the gags, Butch. We're in enough trouble. What's she looking at? She acts like she's never seen a man before. She hasn't. Have you, Alpha Beta? No, my queen. What are men good for? Well, uh, I'm pretty good in the backseat of a Studebaker. Butch! Men are useless. You see, Commander Nelson, 12,000 gamma spans ago, all men were banished from the lunar surface because they couldn't... We now return to our feature starring Greta Van Zandt and Lyle Talbot. There will be no further interruptions. How can you vote for Hecky Mulligan? Nina, can you believe that? How do you know I'm not voting for Mulligan? I thought you were a Democrat. And why do you think I'm a Democrat? Because I'm black? Oh, go ahead. Vote for Mulligan. I'm not voting for Mulligan. Well, I, I don't understand. Why are you getting so worked up over politics? It's simple. You vote for the best man, the best man wins. Oh, woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's priceless. <laughs> well, I can't leave that there, Bob. <laughs> That little comment by Mary Lou and Mamie myself that women really shouldn't have the vote. Of course they should have the vote. Qualified. And all I have to do is... I I didn't take them serious. No, no, no. But I just want to remind people that... (laughs) You mean it. Our matriarch of our philosophy is Ayn Rand, a woman. She can vote. 
<laughs> so I would we get to pick which women her. can vote. They have yes. to they have to pass a certain qualification test. Yes. Well, I think there's a lot of women who qualify to vote, and, and including I'm just thinking uh, off the top of my head here of some very influential women who are head and shoulders above most of the men in the world, and that is like Ayn Rand, Isabel Patterson, mm-hmm. Margaret Thatcher, mm-hmm. Golda Meir. Yep. Um, what's her name? Nikki at the UN there. Nikki, Nikki Haley. Haley. Nikki Haley, fantastic. Yep. And um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I mean, accomplished, fantastic, mm-hmm. clear-thinking, logical women. Yeah, they can keep the vote. <laughs> yes. But I you agree. have to admit that when you hear about women in politics, they're almost always NDPers and liberals. That's and, correct. And, That's and pretty much go, all I saw. They go out of their mm-hmm. way to field female candidates and don't like male candidates as well. Right. Well, we even had that issue in London North Centre where the liberal candidate, when she announced, essentially said she was running because she was a woman. Yep. yep Got to be represented. I'm sorry, well, there was a bit of a scandal behind that, yeah, too, Yeah, there wasn't was. There? Yeah, there was. And the real story behind that was not in the London Free Press, unfortunately. No. And isn't that part of the problem, too, with people getting fed up with elections? I know uh, the rebel media refers to them as, quote-unquote, the media party. hmm That's pretty much what we got here. No, and then I was also thinking about, speaking of Doug Ford and the family feud issue, did you see Peggy Sattler, my MPP, yeah, mine NDP, too. yeah, out there talking about it and saying it's going to be a problem for him to have that. It's essentially gossip. Yeah. Is that what you concern yourself with? It's not anything to do with principle, policy, right. platform, anything. It's all about, well, he's got some personal legal issues. Right. And that aren't like criminal. They're not. There's just a legal matter about finances. Yeah. A superficial and, thing. And as a matter of fact, the NDP have been stellar at their use of superficiality in the promotion of their candidates. I saw one of their images on Twitter. It was a a moving gif of all of their candidates, culminating in the fact that they had, I believe the number was 38 racialized candidates, seven aboriginal candidates. I'm going, what the hell? One of whom... Is that the only reason that you're running is because you're racialized, whatever that means? And, And one of those candidates, a black woman, somebody dug up her social media from the past and found that she had called the first black police chief, I can't remember his name, a coon. Oh, yes, I heard She gave him a coon award. Hmm. And Andrea Horvath defended her on that. Um, There was a lot of that. The woman that wouldn't wear the poppy because she believed it glorified war. Right. The other woman who had um, F the police. That was was Jagmeet Singh's brother, who incidentally won. He never. He did. So the NDP candidate who 10 years ago was holding up a sign saying F the police. He won. Is now a member of Yeah, and Andrew Lawton, who said, Bad things, I guess. Andrew Lawton said everything as a joke, and they were very funny. Yes. And I had to laugh at everything he said. Absolutely. And of course, humor has is now outlawed. He was vilified. Yes. Meanwhile, these candidates get away with these crazy things because they're NDP. They have the correct policy in politics and social. They say they're nice. Yes. Just like And you have to believe them because they're women or minorities or what have you. They fit the quota. Right. Danielle, you're a mother. Look. I think what people, what happens with women in politics is they try to, um, we're good at sorting out fights and things between our children on the management sphere, right? Yeah. So it's, I'm basically, my house is communist within my home. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, you be nice. I don't care who's right or wrong. You just get along. But women try to transpose that 
largely, the, I believe. On the larger sphere, and it yeah. doesn't work. You no. can't do it. And that's those are the women who should not be in politics and shouldn't be allowed to vote. <laughs> there. Communist by nature. Yep. <laughs> no, there's a lot to be said for that. As a matter of fact, I think we covered it on a previous show, Bob, where we talked about the psychology of being born as human beings dependent. That is the nature of human nature, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will, yeah. is that we have to be dependent on others to take care of us for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to cut the apron strings. And when you reach your 18th birthday to all of a sudden realize that now you can be on your own mm-hmm. and you do not need to be mothered. But at the same time, you've gone from dependence into an interdependent society, one that's based on trade, one mm-hmm. that's based on individuals reacting to each other as individuals, not as members of a group. Well, so they, they screw that up too, that entire concept saying like, we need society. Yes, I would say that you need society, but that doesn't mean that you need to be forced into relationships or forced into trade or anything like that. It has to be voluntary all the time. And government's only role, of course, is to be a referee. To be a referee. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about growing up, too, is you also not only do you have to renegotiate your relationships with people, you have to be willing to take responsibility. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's a big piece. And that is the biggest piece, I think, of when you're getting older and Peeling away from having authoritarian parents because that's what we are as we parents. Are. We're authoritarians. Well, but what I tell you, dictators. benevolent dictators. There you go. If you saw the last Monk debate with Jordan Peterson, Stephen Fry, uh, Mike Dyson, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Michelle Goldberg, yes, Peterson brought up the fact that part of the individual rights coin on the flip side of it is responsibility, mm-hmm. and of course, Mike Dyson said, "I don't see that relationship." In other words, he cannot see. That if you have if you have individual rights, you have to be responsible. Is it does that apply to everybody or just white people and Christians? I <laughs> I don't know because I think his view would be only for special re- racial groups, gender groups, yep. well, sexual I, orientation I, group. Danielle and I did a show on the debate, and we came away with the impression that Mike Dyson is black. Yeah, because <laughs> that's all he could refer to for the for the length of the debate on political correctness. By the way, was that he's a black man? Yep. And Don't Jordan you know Peterson's it? a mangry, mean white guy. Mm-hmm. Are you sure he's black then? Why would he have to keep insisting on it? I didn't see this because he had no he had no other argument. That, <laughs> that was, was his, his whole argument. argument. That Pretty was much. it. That's it's the same had. argument from the women. Yeah, well, and like that, the London North Center candidate who said, "Vote for me because I'm a woman." What? Yeah. Like, okay, thank you. It's all identity. Ovaries on the on the ballot? Are they okay? Good. <laughs> It's all identity politics. And by the way, I'll remind our listeners in Ontario that identity politics really began or was entrenched by the Progressive Conservative Party when they brought in the Ontario Human Rights Commission. We're all acquainted with and good friends with Salim Mansour, Mm -hmm. who's a regular on this show. And he just sent out his sort of appraisal of what happened in this election. And he found that, well, the people of Ontario achieved their one striking objective is throwing the Liberals out. The way I look at it is... We didn't throw the liberals out. We stopped putting them back in. And that's the situation after every writ drops. There is nobody in power. What's happening in an election is you're, is you're voting for somebody. You're not voting somebody out. Now, a lot of people don't understand that process. That's a good point. And so what you have to do is prevent putting the same person back in. And as long as you're not voting for the person you don't want, then you're not taking any part or any responsibility in putting that person into power. And this is something we've argued with Salim about over the years, too, is... This idea, he always talks about the art of the possible in politics and that nothing is perfect. It's a big mesh up, you know, when you're actually Mm -hmm. getting into the political arena, which is true. Yeah, it is. 
Salim was critical of being pure in terms of policy, right? I don't know what that means, and we'll have to take that up with him sometime. But he wrote that, quote, the art of the possible begins when people work together to accomplish easily recognizable objectives, whether it be balancing the budget, improving health care and education, investing in the public service, keeping the environment clean, deregulating cutting taxes, generating economic growth, and spreading prosperity. Doug appears to me as a non-dogmatic politician and now leader who will seek the proper counsel on all these issues. Now, those are all dogmatic issues. You want to balance the budget? Well, that's a dogmatic issue. Who is Ford going to work with on that? He says he'll balance a budget in the future. Oh, in the future, right? <laughs> yes, that amorphous distant time in the future. Yeah. Yes, tomorrow, tomorrow. It's always tomorrow. But I mean, keeping it's the environment. Right, you know, deregulating and cutting taxes, generating economic growth, spreading prosperity. These are not done in a vacuum without any sort of philosophy. And I don't see anything dogmatic about them. I think they're principled principled things to work on. So this idea that someone should be a blank slate when they get elected in the hopes that they will somehow carry out the people's wishes is, I think, tragic. Absolutely. I think it's what leads to all the problems that we're having. Do you suppose by when saying pure, he doesn't want the pure because he thinks that you have to have some sort of compromise in order to achieve your goals? You do. So, But do you suppose that's how he means it? Well, maybe, but you don't make the compromise within your own statements and your own party. The compromise is forced upon you through the electoral system. I'm not going to go out and say I'm in favor of a little bit of communism. <laughs> See, it, it, I think, yeah, I, I think I know what you're getting at. And here's what bothers me about what he's suggesting is that it leaves out the element of doing what's right. I mean, of course, politicians want to appeal to what the populist thing that we keep hearing about Doug Ford. But the people aren't always right, and they also have disparate views about what's right. So somebody has to be the grown-up in the room. Going back to the Monk debate and Stephen Fry, he quoted another person this, this quote, and I think it's indicative of perhaps what you're talking about. He said, it's a human failing to want to be right over being effective, to paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Meaning, of course, that all that matters is pragmatism, that which works. But he's not defining what the end goal is or what the value is. But to seem to be right all of the time seems to be a failing in the eyes of the left. And and Stephen Fry, I love him, but he's a lefty. Um, It's a failing to want to be right over being effective. I'm but not, effective is kind of general. You can be effective in a good way or a bad way. Yeah, but what, what yeah, effective gotta, at what? Yeah, exactly. Effective at getting elected, and that's not even in your control, which is the whole irony of this. It's totally a, a, a crapshoot. It really is. And the idea that someone earned their vote in, in any election, as Isabel Patterson said, all, the only reason people vote, quote, is to throw the rascals out, end quote. That's the basic function of a vote. And so what happens is a, a particular political party outlives its welcome. And, yes. that's, and that is the point at which people finally, there's some form of a vacuum being created that wants people to get rid of that person or, who, or whoever's in power. It's upsetting them. Right. And then and the so they're voting again. And, and people start to hear others saying the same thing. And then that's where the bravery to vote against comes. I, I just, yeah, unfortunately, I find people tend to want to 
be part of a movement rather than... And they vote for quote-unquote change because it's like it's time. It right. doesn't matter if the party or yeah. person in power is doing well or not. Right. It's just, well, we got to give somebody else a try now. That's what they did with Harper, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, because Harper was doing fine. And then he they was. just went, yeah, well, he's been here for too long. Yeah. Yeah, it's time, time for, for change. change. <laughs> yeah. There's something to be said for that, though. Even though they know that the party that is going to follow is just as bad as the party that's in there, Elections are our only means of punishing people in power and removing them from power. That, In other words, five years from now, they'll probably do the same thing with Doug Ford and the progressives is mm-hmm. kick them out because you cannot be in power too long because it corrupts. And we realize that, so we're going to change it. We're going to get the same philosophy. We're going to get the same politics. But what we can do as little plebes is get rid of the people in power. But then we're still not changing anything. That's right. You're not changing. And as I say, you're still going to get the same philosophy, the same politics, but we apparently can't change that as proletariats or proles. All we can do with our vote, and that's our only mechanism, a physical mechanism, is to kick the bums out. Hello there. Uh, my name is John Botting, um, but I'm so annoyed at what happened with the arrest of Tommy Robinson. So a little bit about me. Um, I I am an ex-police officer. Um, I did eight years as a special constable. Well, I left the police force in 1997 um, on personal personal reasons. I've never been on a political march before, never. And I'm 55 years old and I've never been on a political march. However, a couple of weeks ago, I did go on the Freedom of Speech March, which started in uh, a speaker's corner and then walked down to Whitehall I had a great day. I felt very proud to be part of that. Um, and I just felt that um, there was something I wanted to do as an individual. But I don't believe that marches and demonstrations are the way to go. And this is why I've put this video together, to be honest with you. You know, I'm not saying we, sh- we as, a, as a people, we shouldn't do things like that. Um, we should. Um, however, you have to work smart without a doubt, our freedoms as individuals are definitely being restricted. There's no two ways about that. Um, and that is very worrying for for me uh, and obviously um, tens of hundreds of thousands of other people as well. Um, what you've got to do, what we've got to do is we have to work the same as they do, the same as the establishment work. You know, they, how you put fear in them is not by having demonstrations. That doesn't put fear in them. What puts fear into the establishment and the established parties and the government and the um, official opposition parties is the thought that they may lose power. And if they think that they are going to lose power, they will buckle. So what you have to do is you have to work smart. And the way to work smart, as I say, is play them at their own game. And to play them at their own game means that you must, you must unite politically. Yes, I'm starving. Hi. What, uh, so what's good? What do you got? Crombie. Okay, uh, let's say Crombie. 
Crombie's a Crombie. That's all we got. Okay, two Crombies then. What are those eyes? Alright. Here we go. Okay. Two what is this? You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it's possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with you. Check out patreon.com slash justrightmedia or visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archive broadcasts featuring an array of timeless discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. We're talking about political parties and the voters, and I was just thinking, you know, the voters are, from what you were saying just before the break, Robert, the voters are really handicapped already, given their choices. It's like walking into a restaurant where there's only two or three menus. And you can say you've got a choice, but you've you've got to pick between the three that are offered. You don't have any other choice. So... When, when we say that they're voting for the lesser of three evils or the greater of three evils, when, that, when those are the only options on the menu, how can we blame them for not doing that other than by not voting at all? And, w- and what about when they really don't have an awareness of how politicians are lobbied by special interest groups? I mean, I think most voters have no idea. I think you touched on that on one no. show. No, and again, they're, they're, they're limited to that, that one function they have is to throw the rascals out. They can yeah. vote against somebody, but even that's not necessarily successful because you have to vote with the majority. And if the majority is not with you, then your vote as useless as it was if you voted for nobody. Well, and I, so what, what, what I'm getting at is the power of democracy is not in the vote. The vote is just that final approval or consent to what is being offered. But how you get the product of what is being offered is only one mechanism in society that can do that. And it's called a political party in a free society. That's where the PC policies are created, although they didn't have any for this election. So we basically voted for a blank slate in terms of what they're going to represent. But all that work's done in the background by the people who choose to get involved with political parties. They create the menu, let us say, we call it a platform, okay? And then they present their menus to the public who have to choose you know, the lesser of three crappy menus, <laughs> really, if that's how they look at it. Or what if somebody really loved all three parties and couldn't choose between the three? I don't know if there's anybody in that position. I've never, ever heard anybody say that to me. I would say there's the same thing on all three menus, so I don't really think it makes a difference either way. Yeah. And, and again, who is that menu problem. catering to, really? That's a good question. I, you know, Bob... When I was on the show many years ago with, uh, remember when we had the Forest City Institute? There oh, was yeah. David Aldred, Arthur Mayur, and myself. Mm-hmm. You disabused me of a notion, <laughs> a rather naive notion I had, because I remember I was all about, oh, the politicians need to listen to the people. And you said, I think the problem is actually the opposite. <laughs> that, um, in fact, they, they do they at do the municipal the level. Yeah. yeah. And you know when I found out how right you were is I live... Uh, in Old South, and there are trees everywhere, and particularly around my property. So raking leaves in the fall is like a Sisyphean task. I mean, they're falling on my head while I'm raking. It's awful. Well, a few years ago, the city decided that we needed more trees in London. So they started going around planting trees. And apparently, they had tagged, decided that I needed one. And I'm telling you, no, I have, I have so many trees on my property. 
So when I phoned to complain, I said, get that damn tree off my lawn. And I said, why did you put it there? And I said, have you seen my property? And he said, no. And I told him how many trees I had. And he said, oh, well, you must have a very powerful lobby group in your neighborhood then. Really? That was the answer. That it, and I said, but I didn't want it, and they don't speak for me. And they get to put trees on your lawn. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, politics is very distasteful to me, and always has been, but it's a necessary thing that I have to deal with on almost on a daily basis. Sure. And you're right, Bob. The vote is the final process of the political machine. It is the end of the process. The beginning is actually educating yourself. That's that's where it all begins. And then working within party systems, joining a political mm-hmm. party, helping to determine who the leader of that party is. Right. And once that happens, helping to determine platform and policies and um, deciding which issues are important. And it's also part of um, writing letters to the editor, speaking publicly, whether it be whatever means you have, Twitter, Facebook, it doesn't matter. It's an endless process. The vote, that's the last thing in the entire process. By that time, everything is more or less gelled that's a good point. or set. Yeah. And if you think about it, if you had three parties, let's say, that came up with virtually the same platform, then the vote would be virtually unnecessary. That's why a lot of people stay home. Yeah. It's because they have a choice between slop, gruel, and pap. That's right. <laughs> Which or or listening to all the people calling each other names and racist epithets yeah. and things like that. It's very distasteful. And, and, and Yeah, and they don't want to be a part of that. I, mm-hmm. I get that big time, I, and I hear it a lot, too. Oh, I understand. Most of my friends uh, really do not know who the players are in the political machines. They don't. For, a lot of them don't even know who the premier is. They'd, a lot of them don't even know that elections are going on. If Shocking. it wasn't for the s- signs that are out there on the street, oh, there's an election, oh, yeah, right, whatever. Because they have lives to live. And this is a distasteful, disgusting sometimes process. To us, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Because we're just masochistic that way. <laughs> but I think people have to realize that the vote, by the time you go to the polling station and vote, I think it's almost a fait accompli what's going to happen because all of the major decisions have already been made that's a right? very good who point. the leaders are the structures of the parties who the players are who's running all those are decided you could have had a chance by the way to participate in that except this- is that really true though because that um like for example with the pcs that i've been wrong before it, well well <laughs> people have said to me rather than joining freedom party that i should have I should have continued my fight within the PC party. Well, I did that for many years. I tried. I did lots of things. Um, Campaign manager, sitting on boards, going to policy meetings. I did all, I ran, well, for you guys, but not for the PCs. But I couldn't change it, though. So um, what's the answer then when you well, do all those things. and It's the old, uh, what did they call it, the chaos effect. or the uh, wings of the butterfly flapping, you know, uh, in Asia creates a storm mm-hmm. in, in Texas. It's not the single yeah. butterfly effect. It's, it's the cumulative effect of everybody working. And it becomes, as um, Preston Manning said in his book, a vector, mm-hmm. a force with a given direction and, and strength. So if you're a particular vector joined with others going in the same direction it becomes a force to be contended with and 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 starts to become 
the philosophy of the day. So yes, one person, while they can be extremely effective, um, is just one voice among millions, it turns out, or at least in the political process, thousands, if not hundreds. As Bob and I both know that it, it, it's only a, a room full of people that really make the major decisions in any society. And to be in that room is the goal, or should be the goal for a lot of people, if they really want to affect ch- real change. And I'm talking philosophic change, mm-hmm. because right now we have no change. We have the same old philosophies. We have the same old... Uh, more, more people voted, as I said, liberal NDP than, than PC. So the, the philosophy, the prevailing philosophy in Ontario, at least, is gimme, gimme, gimme. How depressing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's interesting you said that like, the, if you don't vote for the winner, your vote doesn't count, per se. I think the fact that if you, enough people vote for somebody who even loses... That lets the party that won know that there's a substantial amount of people out there that support that platform or that viewpoint. So I think there is no losing vote per Mm -hmm. se because you are demonstrating to everybody where your philosophical leanings lie. And I think that's very important to do, even declining your ballot, doing just participating, even if you don't if you don't win. I totally agree. And I think this election um, for people who think like us but are inclined to vote PC because they were afraid of the Liberals winning. This was the perfect one to do it in because there was zero differentiation between the, like less than I've ever seen before, between the three major parties. Yes. There's a a video making the rounds out there now in the wake of the Tommy Robinson arrest. It was an ex-policeman in London, England, and he was suggesting that, look, Go out and protest if it makes you feel good, the Tommy Robinson arrest. But he says that's not going to affect any change. The people in power don't care that you're protesting. They really don't care. A million people about the protesting. What gets them in the end is if you can manifest a credible threat to their power and control. And he said the only way to do that is through the political party machine. And it doesn't even have to be a huge threat. It can be a very tiny threat because they don't like to lose a single vote. We discussed this last week mm-hmm. on the show, and, and the effectiveness of Freedom Party's early um, lobbying campaigns, uh, you know, for Sunday shopping, against BIAs, against the Pan Am uh, games funding by taxpayers. If that, those had been strictly lobby groups not attached to the po- potential of a lost vote, I don't think any politician would have paid any attention to us. But the fact that... Freedom Party was an unknown thing at the time. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't, and, and we were getting very positive feedback from the public to our campaigns. had a tremendous effect on them because they thought they might actually lose some votes that could maybe not make us a victor, but cause someone else to be a victor instead of them. You see, mm. you see what I'm Splitting it's the vote. It's not always about one party versus the other gaining the full power. Would you agree? Yeah. Or, Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, the vote is, like, well, even though it's the end of the process, it's all that really is out there is when it comes to attaining power. Right. He who gets the most votes wins. That, that's basically it, except in our first-past-the-post system. But that's too difficult to get into. But you, you see what I'm saying? It's all about the vote. It's the currency of power in Ontario. Of course, it has to be. You have to get some form of consent from the, from the governed, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, I joined UKIP. When it was a very small party, they, they had no elected officials, uh, they had no MEPs in power, anything like that. It was quite a small party. Um, and I joined that party because I was passionate, and I still am, passionate Brexiteer. 
Um, and and I knew that UKIP was the only party that, that sort of had any chance at all in getting the UK out of the EU. So I joined UKIP. Um, I stood for Parliament several times. This is when the party, we were getting 2% two, 2 of the vote. And what did UKIP do? Without a doubt, UKIP actually pushed the referendum to take place on our uh, membership of the European Union. And look what's happened now. Um, and without UKIP, that would not have happened. And if UKIP had been just a pressure group, uh, a bunch of people that used to go on marches, I guarantee you this would not ever have happened. So what we have to do now is we have to mobilise as people behind politics, behind a political party. I think personally UKIP is dead. And I think it's got such a tarnished name, a bad name now that people have to mobilise under something either new um, or something that's already there and established. And this is where I'm leading to because I've got a personal, a personal interest in one political party that I have joined. What I would advocate, if you're an English patriot, um, then I would suggest that you join the English Democrats party. That's the party that I'm a member of. You know, the party's been around for 10 years. It's got its structures in place. It's got a, a branch structure. It's got a constitution. It's fought elections. It's actually had an elected person, which was a guy called Peter Davies, who was elected a mayor. The, the party's been through those processes, used to fighting elections. Uh, it knows what it's doing. So if you are an English patriot, then I would strongly urge that you do join the English Democrats. Uh, the brick wall sent in an audio submission, did he, Greg? Can you play it so now? So it's the day after the election, and I'm already starting to see very negative behavior that, frankly, we just don't need to see and we don't have time for. Last night, when asked about his victory, Terrence Kernahan, who won in Lenore Center, classified his voters as intelligent, as if to say that anybody who voted otherwise isn't intelligent, and also threw out radio. I hear the word populist being thrown around for Doug's, Doug Ford's victory. This is exactly the kind of behavior that we don't need and doesn't accomplish anything. For full disclosure, I voted Freedom Party, so I, I'm not even in this conversation, but I can still defend the majority of people in the province who voted for the PCs. 76 seats the PCs won, a majority. That means the majority of the province voted for the PCs and the kind of change in platform that the PCs are offering. That doesn't mean that we can childishly classify them as stupid, populist, racist, all the pejorative terms that people like to throw out childishly when someone disagrees with them. We don't need that kind of climate in our province. We need to move forward and we need to start rebuilding our lives after 15 years of liberal destruction and the cost of living going up. So hey, if you're upset that Doug Ford won, that's fantastic. But don't resort to name calling and bringing the other person down because simply they disagree with your point of view. Like I said, I voted Freedom Party and we didn't get any ridings this time, and, and that's okay. It's the democratic process. I'm not going to demonize anybody for making the choices that they made. Have a great weekend.
the brick wall. Well, guys, like it or not, Doug Ford is the next Premier of Ontario. The PCs are the next ruling party. And rather than continue to blast them for all of the idiotic policies that they have created in the past and will in the future, why don't we end the show on a positive note and look for some good things that we actually agree with as far as their platform? And I I think the one that popped right into my mind was a buck a beer. (laughs) I think that's great. How are they going to get that? By reducing the taxes on beer? I don't know. I thought it was just about eliminating the prohibition on low prices. Remember the previous government banned Uh things like... um, uh, what do you call it when you get free free beer? Uh, At a happy hour? Happy hour and things like that that would promote alcohol sales. And I think that's what he's talking about. It's not that he's going to insist that a dollar a beer be available, but it, that it be legal to offer well, a beer for that's a dollar. A, that's a platform I can get behind. I like that particular plank. All right, well, come up with another one. Come on. Well, sure, okay. Let's go through them. You talked about efficiencies in government. Well, what what party is not looking for efficiencies? I mean, well, the spendthrift parties of the NDP. Or well, the even they, it's just that what they what they regard as efficient is different depe- depending yeah. on their goals, right? Mm-hmm. So, if your goal is to spend more money in this area and less there, then obviously, what's efficient is to spend more money there and less in the area you don't want to spend it. Well, That's who, all it means. Who can be against it's another way of saying? Yeah, it's 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 a non-starter. But isn't it also how you spend it, not just what you? Spend spend it on like maybe you could get the same job done for just less people doing it that's another mm-hmm. way of looking at an efficiency mm-hmm. and like who's against that nope. Un- unless you're a job creation party and you don't want those kinds of efficiencies exactly. your kind of efficiency is imply you know employing 10 people to dig a hole with shovels instead of getting a, a caterpillar to do it you know? along the same lines he yeah. promises at one point sometime in the future uh, tomorrow to balance the budget go for it doug Balance that budget, buddy. Let's let's see that. You happen. know, I just before we continue this conversation, I should place it in the framework. And I remember asking this question since day one, ever since I've been in in any form of broadcasting. I even remember asking Jim Chapman on Left, Right, and Center. I said, Jim, can you name me one single, even baby step, in the direction of what we would call towards the right ever taken by? progressive conservatives and nobody can ever come up with with a single commentary nothing nothing ever every every change that they make is another change further stepping into the left and i would like to see some of this stuff actually happen by the way just simple tax cuts do not mean that you're on the right the left has cut taxes too these are not the the, the defining issues yes it's useless to cut taxes if you're going to just uh, borrow money right to pay exactly. for now, state programs yeah. now one area that we certainly agreed with, I think, with Doug in terms of what he said, assuming, again, he's sincere. And certainly Paul McKeever actually uh, reiterated the same message, this whole whole thing about injection sites. And uh, I have to agree with Ford that just constantly putting up injection sites is not solving a problem. No, not at all. It's just You subsidize something, you get more of it. That's (laughs) the rule, right? Yes, it's an enabling uh, mechanism. And that, that addresses a huge issue beyond just the sites, but why is that happening? What's it is happening? the biggest scam. As, uh, it's a failure of our healthcare system, really, is what it where, It's where that, it but it's to. also an abuse. I think it, we can't ignore the fact that some people are getting very rich off of this particular victim industry. The people at the top understand very well what they're doing, that they're soaking money out of taxpayers for this. The people who buy it, say the the lefties, the the liberals, 
They want to believe it. And they want to believe they're kind. But it's actually a kindness that kills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's why they call it enabling, I think. Mm-hmm. Enabling is not usually a good thing, and, and, and even when it's thought of as such. Well, the carbon tax is another mm. platform plank they were talking about as well. He's opposed to any form of carbon taxes. Yeah, everybody's really counting on him joining forces with Jason Kenney if and when he wins in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy from Saskatchewan, Scott Moe, to sort of stand against Trudeau. Yeah, that's a positive. Um, if he wants to go ahead with that, that'd be great. Not imposing any sort of carbon tax. Rolling back the price of gasoline by 10 cents. Uh, the taxes, I guess, what that, that would be. that That's a welcomed plank in the platform, yeah. like to see that happen. Anything else? Well, um, did we mention corner, corner store beer? Ah, now I just got back a couple of weeks ago from Quebec, and you would swear you were in another country, <laughs> at least as far as the availability of booze goes. Now, Kathleen Wynne and the, uh, the communists are all saying, oh, you can't do that. You can't have beer and wine and alcohol in corner stores because think of the children, think of the drunks, think of mothers against drunk driving. Well, you know something? In Quebec... The children were puking in the parks and driving madly down the roads. And the, <laughs> the whole place was an anarchy. It was devastation everywhere. Of course, I'm joking. Right. There, there was no evidence no. that having the availability of beer and wine and alcohol uh, right ba- basically at your fingertips any time of day had any deleterious effects on the, uh, the neighborhoods in Quebec that I saw. Have Is you it? ever seen any mainstream media actually challenge her on that and say no. To, no. to those who... Th- claim this well how come it works perfectly fine in other provinces you could Never. get beer. you could get beer in in corner stores in newfoundland forever always and well maybe that's a bad example <laughs> <laughs> i can say that because i'm from there so. all right now another issue ford brought up was um at least he brought up early in the campaign was ending political subsidies to political parties now he, he's been quiet on that since i can't see the leader of a party with a majority situation. Oh, yeah, in no, give me the money. No, giving up free money like that. They voted for it in the in the past too, and they voted for it before he was leader. But if course. he said that, listen, let, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He said it. Good. I hope he does it. Well, here's an odd one: banning cell phones in the classroom. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. I know my son is in high school. He actually needs to use his cell phone to finish projects because he can check stuff on the web that they ask him to do. They do ask? Yes, he has to. He he borrows my charger because he can't. So where do you think this is coming from then? Because I was going to say maybe it's coming from teachers complaining that the kids are using their phones. Maybe complaining that they're being videotaped when they say stupid things. (laughs) That's a good point. Can't they they exercise discipline over their students? Of course they should, right? Instead of... Yeah, exactly. If you're using your cell phone inappropriately in a class, then the teacher has the right to call you on it. If you're using it for a project, then that's what you need it for. Well, wouldn't it be interesting to find out where that came from? Yeah, it's going against what the thrust of this quarter of the show is, which is to pick out something that we favor. However, but that being said, this is very reminiscent of the cell phone while driving law which, of course, is, is, is ludicrous because there's already laws on the books about distracted driving. Right, yeah. So banning cell phones in a classroom, again, is well, picking on a technology when all you have to do is make sure that teachers are able to uh, enforce. enforce discipline in the yeah, classroom. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, but I remember in the earlier technology days, the issue was banning calculators in classrooms. Yep. 
<laughs> yes, and, I remember that. And, and the feeling was that this technology was an impediment to knowledge, to actually learning the, how to do things without having is, the machine do it for you. There's a point which to is, that, but again, is it their role which, to... Which does not relate to finding... You don't make it a law. No, no exactly. And, and it doesn't relate to finding information online as opposed to learning how to calculate or do... <laughs> and also, who's enforcing this law? The yeah. teachers now become police officers of the yeah. classroom? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, charged, by the way, with the... Uh, overseeing the confiscation of thousands of dollars worth yeah. of, of, of communications equipment from their students. I don't see it happening. It's, no. just, it's a nonsense. Sorry, direction. but a lot of these teachers are also teaching that there are something like 59 genders too. So do I really want them in charge of yeah, anything? Exactly. Yeah, you have to go online to look them up. That's why they want the cell phones yeah. in the classroom. <laughs> yes, because people are rating their teachers online. Yeah. Sorry, I think I exaggerated there. I said 59 genders. I think it's 39. I heard 72. Yep, last time I Googled it, it was 72. Ah, at this rate, <laughs> I don't know where it's going to end up, except you're going to have 30 billion genders for the 30 billion people in the country. Anyway, um, so anything else of positive nature from the Ford campaign and the Ford government? Now, has he ever, did he ever talk about the public sector union problem? I know the no. base does, a lot of people in the base do, and would like someone to deal with that responsibly. I can't imagine he has the uh, cojones to do anything about the unions. And, and again, I, I, to be very clear, I'm talking public sector unions. I think they are a travesty. This is even FDR, the great lover of unions. He said unions do not belong in the public sector. Um, this I would is agree very problematic. It, yeah, collective bargaining, no place for it. If you want to talk about workplace safety and things like that, fine. Now, now mind you, in our current age, a lot of that is dealt with in regulation and, and legislation anyway. Yeah. So I don't think it's a pressing issue. I don't think it's come up on the campaign trail. I don't know that they Did have he? a plank about it. No. But every, and yet every, a lot of that, that was a lot of the fear mongering from the NDP. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that the QP and stuff like that all threw their weight behind NDP. Right. Oh, the fear mongering on the, on the trail was unbelievable. I heard one commercial from the NDP saying that Doug Ford is going to privatize health care. God. Well, I'd vote I for wish. That. Yeah, that that'd be nice. <laughs> I know that was an interesting phenomenon. That the things that the opposite parties were saying yeah. were, were were promoting that other party more than putting them down. No, but it's eyes. such a blatant lie as well. That well I'm true. Going, wow, that's amazing that they would actually say such or something like that. And, and the point is, the healthcare system is private. It's all do private doctors. Well, it's that's all true. It's the insurance part of it that yeah, is the insurance uh, that, that needs And we as healthcare. Consumers need to be privatized because we're not allowed to pay for our own. And guess healthcare. who brought that in? The uh, progressive conservative right. party but isn't in the sixties. No, because this is then another case. Because I have heard uh, people who were rooting for Ford say that they think he said this, or that they think he's going to do something about it, about the growth in the public sector versus the private sector. So perhaps that's not true. Is there any? Do you guys recall anything that Doug himself no, said? Maybe no. they're just filling in the blanks because he's yeah. left such a blank platform that uh, whatever yeah. you want, just fill in this space yeah. here and vote you for imagine? me. He's an empty vessel with yeah. many things, yes. Well, I think that pretty well emptied our vessel in talking about <laughs> Doug Ford because when it really comes down to the I bottom like line, he's, he's a likable person yeah. and I think his... I wish him well. I, I mean, I we've know. always been positively predisposed to that. Our our issue has always been with the Progressive Conservative Party. Party, exactly. And since he's been with that party, let's face it, we just don't know what the hell the guy stands no. for. But you know what we stand for, so join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. 
fade into color From color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Um, is that true? It will be <laughs> <laughs> If you don't mention it till tomorrow but he could still announce his new policy. No, I don't think so, Bernard. He'll have only one meeting with his cabinet colleagues in the Overseas Policy and Defence Committee to clear it. I understand all his cabinet colleagues are in favour of it. Yes, but only personally, Bernard. Only politically. But are they in favour officially, as responsible departmental ministers? Oh, I see. I suppose that will depend on the advice they get, will it? 